The Incomparable Number 588 November 2021 Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we're going to talk about a beloved TV series. It lasted one season. It lasted 18 episodes before NBC canceled it. And actually, NBC canceled it way before the 18 episodes aired. We'll, we'll talk about it. It's Freaks and Geeks from 1999 and 2000, a show that when you watch it, you cannot believe who's in it. <laughs> Uh, everybody is in it. And we'll talk about this wonderful show that I think in some ways is the uh, platonic ideal of the one-and-done television series. But we'll get to it. Let me introduce my panelists. Steve Lutz is here. Hi, Steve. Hello there, Jason. I wasn't sure whether I should wear high karate or old spice, so I chose both. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Marco Arment joins us. He has um, the 28-piece drum set, I believe. Hi, Marco. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to think I was like one of the cool kids, but I was probably Neil. <laughs> um, Tiff Arment is also here. Uh, she's learning how to uh, load a film projector. Uh, you are a perv, a loser, and a turd. <laughs> <laughs> and Annette Weirster joins us. She is the one uh, carrying the tuba. No, not that one. This one. No, not that one. This one. This is Annette Weirstra. Hello. Yeah, for this episode, I'd just like to be called Weir. I'm dropping the straw. Oh, and becoming oh. part of the fam. Annette Weird is that your name, Annette Weird? You know what? When I was in high school, yes, yeah. I did get called I, Weirdstra by, all of the time by a bully, a dumb yeah. bully, stupid bullies. Hmm. Uh. So okay, eighteen episodes. They didn't show uh, the last three at all. Um, three of them they burned off four months into the, like after the rest of them had aired on one Saturday night. <laughs> so, so this is a show that the network gave up on real fast, but not so fast as to prevent them from having it actually kind of have an ending, which is, uh, although I remember the ending being less abrupt than it actually is, <laughs> but still <laughs> it does actually have an ending. But the most amazing thing about the show, I, and I should say, I watched the show when it was on. I loved the show when this it was on. Uh, at that time, we had a little blog called TV.org where we wrote about stuff, and we praised Freaks and Geeks a lot. Uh, we were probably the only ones who were watching, and that's why it was very rapidly canceled. But um, yeah, Maybe 12, we killed it. Maybe we did. We killed it with our love. Um, the, it's not the first time. The... Uh, the cast and crew of this show is the thing that over time has just gotten weirder and weirder. Judd Apatow, who went on to make lots of very uh, successful and profitable films, was the executive producer. Paul Feig, who has gone on to produce and direct and write a whole bunch of stuff, was the creator and one of the producers. And uh, there are other people in the writing staff, especially Mike White, who have gone on to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And then there's the cast, which is, um, it's bananas, uh, Linda Cardellini, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, Martin Starr, um, uh, for, uh, Busy Phillips, who, uh, and I should say, and also starring Busy Phillips, who uh, did not get in the opening credits, and then they immediately realized she was great, and they put her in every episode with a special credit. I thought that was a nice touch. Joe Flaherty as uh, Mr. Weir, and then an endless supply of wild uh, guest stars, 
including uh, Ben Stiller as a very emo Secret Service agent, uh, <laughs> Trace Ballou and Joel Hodgson from MST3K, uh, Claudia Christian from Babylon 5. Uh, like, who else is in there? Little baby Rashida Jones is in an episode yeah. as a. Lizzie, Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah. Uh, David Crumholtz. Right. Yeah. And Mr. Numbers himself. And uh, a very, very young um, Shia LaBeouf as Shia LaBeouf as, as Herbert the, yes. as the kid who's in the uh, mascot suit until the he gets injured, who, who lapses into a coma and dies at the end of the episode. <laughs> or at least that's the implication. <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible. It's possible. I don't think he dies. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, Maybe I'll just never see him again. I believe it. Along with some people who we didn't, you know, we didn't see, uh, we haven't seen as much since who are great, like uh, uh, Dave Gruber Allen as the guidance counselor, Mr. Rosso. Um, and the person I, I, I wanted to call out in this episode for sure, which is Tom Wilson, who everybody knows as Biff Amazing. in Back to the Future. And he is the gym coach in this. And he is so great. It is every episode. I'm like, oh, it's Biff. And then I watch it and I think, oh my God, he's so good. And then the next episode, he's in it again and he's good again. He like is so great in this. So it, that's the part about this show that has gotten better and better with time is that all these people, well, I mean, not all, but most of these people have gone on to do all sorts of amazing things in uh, in entertainment, uh, including, by the way, um, uh, John Francis Daly, Sam, who has not gone on to an illustrious acting career. Uh, he's a Hollywood screenwriter. He wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, he's, he, he, he works. He does, uh, he does the job as a screenwriter now. So even, even Sam Weir. I, I don't know what Sam Levine is doing now, but uh, you know, they can't all... They can't all be gems. They can't all be Martin Starr, who went on to be in Silicon Valley and all sorts of other stuff, including Spider-Man Homecoming. I think he had a fair number of credits like right after this, and then I think he's presumably doing something behind the camera instead. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Undeclared, which was the show that the sitcom for Fox that was made after this was canceled, which is kind of like Freaks and Geeks in College, except a sitcom, uh, had a lot of these same people in it. <laughs> Um, so a lot of the same writers and a lot of the same actors. Oh, he's actually still a working actor. Yeah. He was in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, good for him. Good Couple for him. Things. He's just not Lots the one. It's he's not in the list of like Linda Cardellini, James Franco, well, no. Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, no. Martin Starr. It's just Busy Phillips. It's, just, it's what? Well, it's not just that they, that these guys are people that have become well known. It's that these are people who become well known because they're really good. Yeah, this cast is amazing. Uh, I mean, I, one of the biggest strengths of this show in general is. Uh, the level of realism of these characters, um, you know, having lived it, I I'm, I, I was maybe a hair uh, younger, younger than, than yeah. the cast here by just a bit. But still, you know, going in the later 80s, going through high school, I knew all these all of these people. I mean, these aren't like caricatured geeks. These are people that I knew. There's a jacket <laughs> Busy Phillips wears her blue jacket. That's like I I, kn- I knew multiple girls who wore that jacket oh, yeah. and looked like Busy Phillips. I absolutely, I basically had that jacket. <laughs> Can I just say the jackets yeah. in this show are <sighs> uh, they're off the hook? They're so good. Like all jackets in the show, I give a plus. There's a moment at the very end since we're on jackets, which is how my outline for how this episode was going to go uh, first jacket mapped it out is the cast and then the jackets. That's really they lead right into one another. That there is a scene at the the last scene basically in the show where Lindsay uh, spoilers for Freaks and Geeks, it's on Hulu. You should just go watch it, but now we're going to talk about it cuz it came out 20 years ago. Um she gets on the the bus to go to Ann Arbor for the academic decathlon or whatever it is, academic summit, and she's wearing her good girl outfit and all that. And she gets off the bus to go into the mini mini bus to go uh, tour with the dead. 
And the thing that happens is she takes off her good kid coat and puts on her olive army coat that is the symbol of her being with the with the freaks. And it's like a super meaningful moment of I need to put on my olive jacket. So like the jackets mm-hmm. actually really matter. I gotta say, after watching this again for this particular episode, I went out and bought myself a green uh, <sighs> army jacket nice. because I'm like, it just <laughs> needs to happen. Uh, it's just it's too awesome. Um, so I'm good. I'm now Lindsay. I'm going to embody. I this. already have one. I was like, I have that jacket <laughs> still. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stick some enamel pins on it. You're good to go. Uh huh. Basically. Sorry, we're taking over your podcast, Jason. Jackets. We're going to just no, talk about, talking about jackets jackets now. freaks and geeks. It's all right. Jacket talk. I hope you've enjoyed <laughs> it. Yep. Good night, everybody. Uh, jackets aside, the uh, that I mean, it's it's partly it's that these characters are very well written, but they're also exceedingly well acted, and I think um, it's it's kind of impressive to have an ensemble cast this size and have literally almost everybody on the cast be just superb. Um, you know, Tom Wilson, you mentioned, uh, he's fantastic in this. I've always liked him in everything I've seen him in, but he's he's amazing in this. And then, uh, you know, the main cast is great. And then the I want to give special props to the unsung hero, Becky Ann Baker, who Hell plays yeah. the weird mom, mm-hmm. who is so wonderful. And, you know, and she's, she's like the perfect late 70s, early 80s mom sort of... Uh, you know, still on the edge of having grown up in the fifties and, 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 uh, you know, she still has some of the, the old views and you can tell like she's suffering a little based on watching how things are you know becoming more coarse and watching her daughter involved in it. And you just like in scenes like where she, like the kids toss her Halloween cookies out on the lawn, your heart just breaks <laughs> oh, for the late. Oh, sad. Uh, so good. Because this is 1980 in Michigan, right? It's very precise. It, it, this is a ni- surprisingly temperate climate for Michigan, well, by the way. It, considering it, we're seeing a whole LA, school year, but still, yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> snows or leaves fall from the from the trees, but that's all right. Yeah, it's funny talking about you know, Gene Weir. Like I, as you know, I, I watched this forever ago, of course, when it was when it was more recent, and then you know I've watched it maybe every five or ten years since then, and and. Uh, always love this show and and of course you know i identify very strongly with the the geek roles in this show obviously i yeah. think many of us probably do yeah. here mm-hmm. yep. yes. um and that's it's part of the reason why it's so no like, you know loser so palpable. <laughs> like it's, steve you're our kim kelly like i feel like most shows are written by popular kids when they try to write what geeks are like and it, they don't really capture it because they weren't geeks. This show seems like it was written by geeks, like who actually experienced all these things. Paul Feig it just, wrote a oh, book called Kick Me, uh, which I read. And yeah, oh, my God, this is like not nearly as awful as his <laughs> high school life was. <laughs> but it's it's in the ballpark. You could see. Yeah, these were this was written by uh, mostly the geeks, but also with the freaks. Like, I mean, I think there's a great... Um, the premise of like it's both groups and it's the older sister and the younger brother like the show always does a pretty good job of i mean the crossovers between the two groups are amazing but like it does a pretty good job of depicting the disaffection of the one group and the sort of like pariah status of the other and yeah being in the geek group i was like oh yeah this is uh like almost too real well that's the other thing that i think is is a big standout of this show i think this is i don't know if it's the first but it's definitely a very early instance of something that's happening a lot more frequently now, but of a, of a show that seems to have sympathy for nearly every one of its characters, yeah. even the ostensible villains, you know, the jocks have sort of a soul that you get to see into and it, a la, you know, Ted Lasso or sex education right yep. now. And it's, it's, it's just wonderful from that perspective. 
But even the bully, even the bully. Yeah. You get, he gets, he gets a that moment where Bill is uh, comatose, uh, where he actually drops his guard a little, and you're like, oh, and, and you see his dad, and you're like, oh, I kind of see why this guy is the way he is. Yeah. Well, and then he wants to come and hang out with him at the end, but he just can't do it. Yep, because uh, they're too nerdy for so him. So sad. <laughs> I mean, and also just like the way it's cast and, and the age of these actors in comparison to the age that they're supposed to be playing, it's so unlike every other high school drama or comedy or anything that was out, like any movie, these people look like they're that age. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're kind of, they're still like pre-puberty or just like on the verge of puberty. And it's like they're not these already developed, you know, 20 somethings trying to play teenagers, you really get the sense of the awkwardness of them. And I think that that's what really brings it to that realm of realism and makes it so visceral for all of us that went through that. Because like you watch something like Dawson's Creek, which uh, Busy Phillips was actually in also, Mm. um, you know, like they're so hot, like they're all so hot. Right, because they're all like thirty. Yeah, yeah right. Like they're all no, well, they start out at twenty six and they're really hot and 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 plausibly young, and then they go into season six and you're like they're kind of old, aren't they? But yes, I <laughs> right? get like, point taken. Everything else, yeah, like nine hundred two one zero. Yes, exactly. So so hot, mm-hmm. right? Even even um, uh, say by the bell, all super hot, mm-hmm. right? Like the, and this show, it finally gives us like, okay, this is us. Like we can relate <laughs> to this because like, oh wow, they're real humans in this situation on TV that we can watch like their high school lives unfold. And from like reading some background information about the show, that's the kind of thing, not that the age of the actors was a problem, but the idea that it's so steeped in just realistic teenage life and how kind of, uh, how non-dynamic it can be. Uh, You know, it's more dynamic for them personally than it is like in the ups and downs of like, oh my gosh, this crazy drama thing is happening in our school. That that was the problem that the network had with the show is like they wanted it to be so much more overblown than, you know, Judd Apatow actually wanted it to be. He wanted it to pick he wanted it to depict real high school life as much as possible. And it just like it wasn't that wasn't coinciding with what the networks wanted. They're not all, um, I mean, James Franco's in it and he's doing his best James Dean at that point. And, and that's, you know, fair enough. But a lot of these people are also not people you would think of as being cast as one of the leads in a network TV show because they are as as uh, cute as uh, Linda Cardellini is, right? But like John F- Francis Daly is this little scrawny kid with bug eyes and uh, Seth Rogen, who is 17 when they shot this, Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, most uh, of them are fairly young, right? Uh, the yeah, exception I mean, of Linda Cardellini. Yeah, I mean, they're all in their sort of like early 20s but Seth Rogen is the youngest I believe uh certainly the youngest of the freaks at at 17 playing basically the age he actually was and even Jason Siegel who went on to be in How I Met Your Mother and has done movies and stuff he's he's you know awkward and not like super movie star like even you know and a big doofus too and then like Martin Starr like who put him in a show and one of my favorite things about Martin Starr okay so on that tv.org blog we did awards every year and the year that Freaks and Geeks was on we awarded our best actor award to Martin Starr not best actor in a comedy best actor period to Martin Starr in Freaks and Geeks and I stand by that he is amazing in this what I find truly amazing is that he's been in lots of other stuff now because every time I see him I'm like I cannot believe that guy actually had a career and he's great in all the stuff that he's been in he's he's weird but he's really great uh and i'm so i'm I'm like proud of him because like it's like i knew him when he was just super awkward bill on freaks and geeks yeah i I think he might be the best character in the show if if i had to pick one i think bill might be it 
I like though the distance between Bill and and Neil and Sam though coming back to what Tiffany was saying and how young they are because they are just little yeah. geeky babies and I think that emphasizes the the difference between like where you start high school to where you get in high school mm-hmm. and that like because like they they seem like they're like a million years younger than those kids who are older than them and but I it, think that's it, part of that captures what high school is because you are a baby you come in as yeah. a freshman and you're wide eyed and you don't know what's going on and you leave as this see I remember taking my daughter to middle school, not even high school, to middle school, my little incoming sixth grader, and seeing, exiting eighth graders walking around and being like, who are these women, right? And it's like, that that happens, it happens so fast. And in high school, it happens like even, it's an even bigger kind of thing where you come in as kids and you end up as basically almost adults. And and so, yeah, you look at uh, uh, Sam Levine as Neil and you look at uh, James Franco as Daniel. It's like, those are, are those both human beings are those are the same species and it's like yeah but like there's the little one who's young and then there's the big one who's gonna get kicked out of school pretty soon and it's just and and i assume there's an article where they talk to the producers about what would have happened if they had come back and their their footnote was basically like we knew we weren't coming back (laughs) but they said they all of it was going to be about dealing with the geeks having those kind of growth pressures right that they're a tight group as as young high school students, but that even that group was going to progress in different ways and go into different pressures because the kind of you, you end up more like the older characters after going through high school for a few years. Um, and, and, you know, having it be the smart idea of having it be Sam and Lindsay where, um, they're in the same family and they're experiencing very different kind of issues and yet sometimes related. And we're seeing these two different stories. I think it's such a smart, way of structuring the show that that the the characters do cross over but they also get to have their kind of own things that are about like being 15 and being 17 and then you get the nice bridge between those two where you get the view of the parents oh. you know the, uh, the their parents being that the the story is centered on the two of them and getting to see their parents deal with them both uh, you know growing up and and being in high school i know marco you always say like how we started watching the show and we were into it for the characters of the kids. Mm-hmm. And now we're like seeing it through the lens of the parents. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh no, I'm changing, right? Yeah. Like, this is- <laughs> yeah. And the parents, they're able to, I mean, first of all, I, I, I love, definitely, I love, you know, Gene Weir as, and, and Harold Weir just as, as characters. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're so well acted. And I love, especially, you know, not only am I, you know, now identifying more with them as time goes on, um, but I, I love how much they're able to communicate with just a facial expression or like one one brief sentence. You know, like like one of my one of my favorite moments with the dad with Harold is um, when you know Lindsay when he, he makes some comment about like how you know he had it rough growing up and Lindsay said yeah I know and he he just says trust me you don't yeah and, and it like, comes- that was so strong and like there was a few moments like that like both for him from him and from from Mrs Weir. They're just such strong moments, and you can kind of see this whole past for this character mm-hmm. in one line that, you know, it kind of, you know, blew over me a little bit the first time I watched it as, like, probably, like, a college kid. But, you know, like, as, you know, as I get older, I pick up on that kind of stuff. Man, there, there's just so much of that depth in this show that just kind of, you know, they, they, they don't have time to explain it all or to show you all this, but you can, you can get that from just this one well-written and well-acted line. All right, let me take a little break from The Incomparable to tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you in part by 
the IntraZone from Microsoft. You know, I love finding new podcasts to listen to. I add them to my little priority playlist. New podcasts, they pop up. I get a little surprise as I'm listening. Oh, what's this next, next podcast? It's a new one. If you are looking for a new podcast to listen to, may I recommend the IntraZone? It uh, has conversations and interviews hosted by the SharePoint team on how SharePoint, OneDrive, Teams, Viva, and more can work for you. This is one of those podcasts you listen to for work, right? You want to know more. Microsoft will tell you things. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes out in the field. These are more of the geeks than the freaks, I will admit. But, you know, so am I. You can see how SharePoint and Microsoft 365 fit in your everyday work life and learn more about the flexibility when working with content, workflow, search, and more. Each show covers a bunch of segments, news, announcements, topics, guest perspectives, and upcoming events. I love segments and podcasts most of all. And the topics for each show are really interesting. Previous episodes cover um, Microsoft Viva, no to low code solutions with Power Platform, um, AI and machine learning, all sorts of stuff. You pick it. Cloud administration, it's in there. Go and listen to it now. Just search for the IntraZone, I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, wherever you get your podcasts, or just click the link in the show notes to check it out. Thank you to the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for supporting the incomparable. What leaped out at me about um, Joe Flaherty, who is great, um, is he, in that episode where uh, Nick, Jason Siegel, uh, basically runs, you know, he walks out on his dad because his dad sold his drum kit and he sleeps on their couch for a few days. And Joe Flaherty, like, encourages him to take drum lessons and says he'll give him a job at the sporting goods store in order to, so that he can pay for the drum lessons and plays like a Gene Krupa record for him and is doing all this encouraging. And and Lindsay is like, why are you being so nice to him and get, you give me a hard time? And like, it's a very almost sitcom-y kind of like, dad, why are you being mean, mean to me and nice to this, this boy who is not even your kid? And this time watching it through, it was so clear. It's like he sees himself in this boy and he, he's got dark stuff in his past. The dad does where he's like, uh, this kid's, dad is being kind of awful to him and i wonder if i could uh, you know i have harold has real empathy for nick which is funny because up to then he's the threatening boy who's might be dating their daughter and he's very dangerous and he needs to go away but then he like melts because he sees something there and it's obvious there's there's more there where he's identifying with him a little bit where he's playing the records for him and also he just he knows what that kid's relationship is with his dad and has a moment of like, maybe this kid needs a little encouragement and positive interaction and, and saying, if you like drumming, you should learn how to drum instead of just yelling about it. And I, I'm sure I read a little bit of that the first time I watched it and the first few times, but it, it, that's the one that hit me the most is like, and, yeah. and so when he goes to Lindsay and he's like, Lindsay, you gotta understand, like I, I, it, it's, you know, he tries to explain. It's like, I don't want you to be upset about this, but I really feel for Nick. And like, I get it. I, I understand that there's a lot going on under the surface there. Yeah. But even then you've got that moment at the end when uh, Nick's dad, who's Kevin Tige, is it? Kevin Ty, who's been in a whole bunch of things. You recognize him from... Oh, yeah. And you see him and you immediately, you you know he's evil. <laughs> he's just one I'm of those I'm pretty guys. sure he was like a murderer in Dexter. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not convinced he wasn't a murderer in life, but it's, he's, he's a superb sort of foil character. But uh, yeah, you've got that moment at the end where he's kind of trying to soften up Nick's dad a little bit. And and uh, his dad says, well, how old's your son? Yeah. 14. 
well, call me when he's 16. And there's a moment there where Harold's like, well, maybe I misjudged you a little bit. And maybe I didn't really understand my dad either if he was hard on me. And it's just like, it's surprisingly complex layers for a fun show about goofballs and right. babies. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't you think, though, they balance the being engaged with also being out of touch and i think that's mm -hmm. something that really reminds me of me and my parents where they care so much about their kids and they're trying so hard to like connect and engage and it's sort of successful but at the same time the depths of things that they don't know that their kids are doing but aside from the kids don't know about them and that generation gap that i i feel is different now between parents and kids i i don't i don't know maybe because i don't have kids i don't think that way but uh i i just find it's really well balanced because it feels so real because they care so much but they also are so like funnily awkward a lot too which just is endearing to me now but would have been so annoying as a kid while we're talking about adults we should definitely talk about mr rosso oh, yes. <laughs> yes so great <laughs> call me jeff similarly <laughs> out of touch <laughs> but like he's out of touch in a way that like he used to be the cool kid Right. Like yeah. he used, even if he was like he tells stories about being made fun of and stuff in his past. And that's how he's like able to relate to a lot of the students or, or tries to relate to a lot of the students. But you can tell like he was like the cool freak of his time. And now he's put into this role where he has to guide children and like kind of be the teacher that everyone thinks is so uncool. And it's like he had this. You could see that he had this illusion in his past that like he's going to be different, right? Like he's going to be the different teacher. He's going to be the cool uh -huh. teacher that sits down and has rap sessions with the mm -hmm. students. But it turns out so bad for him because he really is super out of touch with everything that's going on now, even though he is trying so desperately to be in touch and be cool and at their level. And I just think that that's such a crazy thing to look at but then it's also a crazy thing to kind of feel in yourself as a human growing up and being like oh yeah with my kids i'm gonna be so cool and be able to talk about <laughs> video games and we can like hang out and we'll, i'll be real with him you know and then it all falls flat mm -hmm. and you're like wow i am so fundamentally uncool it's this is just this is just how it happens it's the natural progression <laughs> of the world and mr rosso is all of that i was gonna say that there's also the cool dad which is uh, Neil's dad. He oh, yeah. really right, wants to right. be the, co the cool dad. He's a dentist, so he is not a cool dad, but he wants to be the <laughs> cool dad. And he, uh, we see it at several points, and like he's trying so hard, and it is kind of like, your dad's so cool, one, they say at one point, but he's all, it's also he's really trying hard, and then we find out that he is having an affair, and it leads to the uh, that garage door episode, which is really amazing because it's the, those three boys mm -hmm. driving, you know, riding around their bikes in, through the suburbs until it's dark trying to find where the garage door opener opens because it's going to be the love nest that proves that he's having an affair. And there's that funny moment where they're sitting on the sidewalk and, and the garage door behind them opens as they're clicking and they're like, oh my God. And then a, a car drives into it and they're like, oh, thank God. But then Neil, you know, he finds it and it's a real emotional moment on top of the the comedy. And, and we've seen him sort of like swear Sam to silence about it. And like, maybe you didn't understand. And he tries to, you know, bribe his son with the Atari and all of these things. And it's the same thing where it's like, oh, he's a he's a cool dad. And the, and the answer is, well, no, he's not. And Harold Weir is not super not cool, but he really 
you know, he he tries. He he loves his kids and he wants to do the right thing. Whereas, you know, Mr. Schweber, Dr. Schweber is not is not. <laughs> Let's just say, yeah, that's a that's that's definitely a standout episode for me too. Um, there, I hadn't watched this since it was originally on, and I think there were some episodes that I had never seen. Right, uh, I mean, there were three that never the, that never aired at all, and three that aired much much later after it was so canceled. Were there three so. that never aired at all? Because I was looking through the uh, first aired yes. list. And yes, I the think... ones that are October of two thousand aired when it reran on a cable network. So Kim Kelly is my friend, okay. which is a super that's a great good episode. important. Mm-hmm. Episode they never yeah, aired that, episode. and then they never um, they never aired Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers, which is an amazing important episode. That's, yeah, that's and and uh, noshing and noshing and moshing, which is the ventriloquist episode, <laughs> uh, which is funny. So they Wait, are you sure they didn't one? air the yeah. gym teacher one because I could swear I saw that when it first aired. Maybe maybe not. Maybe I'm just hallucinating. Um, but point being, like I I hadn't seen it in forever, and there were only two things really that I remembered from the show. Um, and one of them was the very end of this episode, um, where first of all, the, the garage door opens yeah, and he chucks it at the car and it bounces up and hits the bumper. And I'm thinking like, oh man, I bet you they didn't want that to happen. Cause that's a pretty nice car. <laughs> um, but, but that combined with, with Sam coming in after spending the whole evening riding his bikes around, trying to find this garage yeah, and they present him with the Atari and he just starts crying and goes in for the, for the big hug. And that, that I think is the, is the best moment of the show for me. It's oh. unbelievably emotional and sweet and it's heartbreaking, you know, to see Neil, um, and it's really, really great. I think that episode is definitely a standout. Intercut with the freaks going to the laser show of country music. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's the Tuba Girl episode as well. Uh-huh, it I, is. It's nice that they finally gave Seth Rogen something to do because you know, that's the first time. In I'm not the biggest episodes. fan of Seth Rogen. I mean, I've liked some of the stuff that he's been in, but I'm not. His, I'm not his biggest fan. I, and I actually think that he's 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 a pretty decent performer. Um, but uh, this. As the show goes on, they gave him more to do, and I was like, "Look at you, Seth Rogen, seventeen years old. You're you're acting the hell out of this. You're trying really hard." Where they're like, they set him up as the super jaded. Everything he says is a joke, and then they get to the point where he meets the tuba girl, and and then that whole relationship, which goes in some very interesting areas, and he ends up punching Daniel in the face. Um, and is, one of my favorite lines in this bit is is just him saying, "It's the only way he knows how to express himself." Yeah, I feel odd. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah it's just it's really good and, and it's as if they were like um this guy is you know we should <laughs> we should give this guy more to do and he does some really good stuff with it and then and then that's the beauty of the show right is that the tuba girl stuff and the the making out and awkwardly not making out at the laser country music show is being intercut with this thing with the garage door and, and neil's dad having an affair and the ataris and 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 yeah and sam's parents getting him an atari which i so when i tried to make the case for getting an atari my dad my dad's way of saying no was i i, I don't want to break the tv and I was like, but dad, it doesn't break. It just works. They, they, they have the millions of them. It's going to be fine. He's like, might I don't want to burn an image into the screen. I don't want to break trouble. Break the TV. I was born into an Atari family. So you might you be know, looking at those duck shaped like. uh, dragons from adventure for the rest so of that TV's when, lifetime. When Mr. Weir says, we're not going to get you that Atari, like just turn, just, just sit there and, and amuse yourself or whatever. Or, or he probably, probably said something like, you know, I know somebody who got really into Pong and you know what happened to him? He died. <laughs> he died. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> died. <laughs> uh, usually the excuse was your eyes are going to go blind because those, those things yeah. make your eyes bleed. 
And I will say though that although they're pretty careful about like the 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 timing for this show because this is supposed to be uh, eighty to eighty one, I think, right. as far as the year, and they're very careful about the music that they play being released pre late nineteen eighty. Although I will say that Bad Reputation didn't come out till eighty one, but that's all right. Um, they're less meticulous about their Atari cartridges. <laughs> <laughs> Berserk came out in 1982 and Robot Tank not until 1983. I mean, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> and he invites them over for Asteroids. That wasn't out yet either. Yeah. Oh, no. That's the one that I noticed. It's like, yeah, I don't think that was. It's a little early. Although, And, I, and they're I somehow did, playing arcade Asteroids on an Atari 2600. When they, but, uh, when they did, um, when they talk about uh, Yoda and stuff, I'm like, really? But it's like, no, it's, that, that, it's right after Empire Strikes sure. Back came out. It's the perfect time for them to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, so I want to I talk about um, Daniel. James Franco, because I think what's fascinating about how that character is used is it start like, I don't know whether they intended it or not, but like, it's such a kind of fake out where he's the cool guy. And as the show goes on, at least the way that I, especially this time watching it through, it's like, he's a disaster. He's always going to be a disaster probably and i feel like the the beautiful moment where he kind of hits rock bottom um where he 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 cheats and he gets Lindsay to help him cheat and then he gives her the sob story um which leads to the most amazing scene where he gives the <laughs> same sob story to the math teacher and the counselor and the parents in the conference and Lindsay is staring at him as he does the same sob story and just starts laughing because she realizes that she was had by this guy and he's just a total fake is it, it is amazing what you know that that you take this James Dean kind of guy and you're like yeah but you, you know he's kind of okay but also he's kind of kind of awful and 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 then in the last episode they they kind of have him turn a corner a little bit where they put him in the AV club and he goes and plays Dungeons and Dragons uh, and, and has he's a good time studying the uh, the 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 manual for the camera so he can actually properly project or the the projector he's humiliated yeah. the projector you're right and then uh, it is interesting that um, he's kind of. He's he's a very shallow character until all the way up to episode fifteen, which is the first time we ever get any real backstory, about him, <laughs> which I hadn't realized the first time through. Um, but he's yeah he's he's just the bad boy for he's quite got a while. His moments, but <laughs> yeah. then but then in, in episode fifteen you finally get you know his dad is sick and he needs painkillers, and part of the issues that he's having is he has to like run to the store and get painkillers because his brother will 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 eat them <laughs> if he has to go pick them up. Um, and it's it's interesting. It's it's nice. It's almost like he's there's there's a real journey that sort of happens with his character that you you don't expect. Yeah, that's the one thing I think that like the the because this show didn't go on and any any more than it did. I think feel like that's what we missed out on here is a lot of that character develop, development, especially for this character because it is. It's like that those moments with like the pills and you see his home life for like the first time and it's it's like the very last episodes it's it took this yeah. long for us to really see the background of daniel's character and he just starts to change and get interesting and evolve and then we're cut short and that's super frustrating it's like oh i love this character i i'm so into like who he is because i relate a ton to the Lindsay character like the idea of being super nerdy trying to be cool but you're like not trying to be cool with like the cool jock kids or like the actual cool kids you're trying to be cool with like the freaky burner kids mm -hmm. right and so it's like that was my high school journey yeah, that's why you so, bought like, the I coat. totally understand I get it. that like 
I, I, right. I have the coat, right? It's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Dark <laughs> like, hair. I, I totally understand like falling for the really good looking, like, you know, kind of loser guy and having them not notice you at all. And it's like, I, I see all that. Cause it's like you, you see through Lindsay's eyes, like how much she likes him. But yet we see that he is kind of like a total loser for most of it. And just like, can't get, he can't get his footing right. But then towards the very end of the series, we start to understand why he can't get his footing right. And mm-hmm. I like, I just wish we had so much more available to us for that character because I'm personally invested in him. Also, he's very hot. I agree. The moment <laughs> the moment when Lindsay realizes that this is this is how he gets by <laughs> is doing these stories and, and mm. she cannot believe it and she starts laughing. I just love that moment so much because it's like, okay, this explains a lot. Like she's learning now, like this explains yeah, a lot. Yeah, she about becomes Daniel. disillusioned by like his spell. Yeah, at because, that point, because you know? he's used it on her. But then then you're right at that last episode. I I mean, I love that so much that he that the, the, the super cool guy ends up with not just the the core geeks but also the the uh all, all the sort of peripheral geeks at the D game um that um is it, it it's so heartwarming right like he doesn't really know and he's like tell basically he's saying i'm not smart like you guys so i can't play this and they're very encouraging to him and like you you would like it especially harris who is another amazing recurring character. Oh, I love him. Harris, Harris, who is like the, the, he's the The Oracle. Yeah. He's the super cool (laughs) nerd. All doing the beer bong at the party. That's unexpected. Harris is, and and, well, and he's their like, he's their uh, wise man about girls. He's their Yoda. Yeah. A wise man about girls and what you should do. And he, 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 cause he satisfies his lady or whatever. And they're like, gross. (laughs) That he's so gross. Harris. Right. What's her name? uh, Judith. Yes. All she wants is scented oils and a lot of time with her man. With her man. Yeah, gross. Uh, But Harris is the DM and he's super encouraging of Daniel, which is also really nice. And then Daniel, you know, they, they, he's like, you're going to be a dwarf and he doesn't want to be. And they talk him into it and and he becomes Carlos the dwarf and they win. And when we did D and D for the first time on the incomparable, I named my character Carlos the dwarf because it was totally for, uh, for that episode. Cause it's so sweet that they, they welcome him. And he actually like feels wanted in a way that maybe he hasn't felt before. It's just an amazing moment. But yeah, that's all we get. And it does that last episode is I, I mentioned this earlier, way more abrupt than I remember it being. Yeah, so you probably know these things. Was that a, like a retrofit when they found out they were canceled? I think it, it, it was does feel like it got dropped off a cliff. I, I think I think maybe they thought they were gonna get a twenty I think they maybe got a twenty two episode order and when they were approaching episode eighteen they said stop. Um, but I don't know that for sure. It it it's a nice ending, and I do think that this whole season—that's the beauty of it—is I think you can just watch these eighteen episodes and say that was really great and be done and not feel like there was some big cliffhanger yeah. or anything. Although, I mean, since it wasn't renewed, the implication that I take from it is that Lindsay and Kim were horribly murdered on their road trip to <laughs> yeah. the dead and never came home. Well, what they said was that they thought that the, the next season would probably start with Lindsay um, uh, being like on a stretcher or something, being taken out of a Grateful Dead concert. Sounds and, right. And that and that she gets home and her parents don't trust her and that um busy phillips comes back and kim is pregnant and that was oh. going to be what they, wow, what, man. What they did for the second season. well they were like <laughs> we always had pregnant girls in our high school so we thought maybe maybe kim kelly got pregnant yeah. and then we would have to deal with that 
Well, they've already been given so many reasons to distrust her. It's always a little shocking that they haven't figured it out by the end. The, the reason that, that that last episode feels so abrupt for me in some ways is that some of the characters, like they want to give Lindsay her moment and they want to give Sam a little moment and they and they give Daniel so much time. But like Ken, Seth Rogen, uh, he has like a joke and he and uh, and is gone. And uh, um, uh, Jason Siegel is yeah. like, He's disco dancing. He's a disco queen. Yeah. Like, and <laughs> that's it. Like the, the, he talks to Lindsay and he's upset and like, and goes back to disco, but is not the best disco dancer. Cause there's the guy who's doing mime and well, disco. Mess- disco <laughs> stylings like, of Eugene. How, how do you mess with Eugene? Yeah. So, so you know, it, it's it doesn't feel like a finale as much as it is that they figured out they there was a way to sort of tie up a couple of loose ends, but yeah. it does it does feel satisfying enough. I just if it was a real intended finale, they would have tied up everybody, I feel like. And instead, it's sort of it's messier than that, but it's still a a really nice ending and and Daniel who is not my favorite character it has my favorite character moment really, which is that D and D game with the geeks because it's just so sweet and they're all there and they're full, you know, it's everything we know about those guys and you're spending time with, with Bill and Sam and Neil and, and that is a legit D and D table, by the way, that is yeah. 100% accurate. Somebody on the staff. <laughs> well, they said more than one game it's of like you, you, you eat junk food and you make jokes and, and that's a Sam says that, right? Yeah. You eat junk food and you crack jokes and that's what it is. And I'm like, yep, that's yep. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> that's what it is. Wasn't there a sad part of that too, where the geeks um, said to Daniel, like the next day in school, are you still going to be cool to us like are you still going to be nice they they were really leery right about like the tenuous uh the, the the tenuous um pedestal that this friendship is on i don't even i'm trying to figure out the phrase that i want to say but i can't figure it out um but like yeah it's, it felt like that they were teetering on this potential friendship yeah. with daniel and he says and, he wants to come back and play again right but they were really they're also hyper aware that like there is still the hierarchy at school and like, is this going to carry over? I can't remember if this was like part of another episode or if it was this particular episode at the end, but I do remember like there are these times where like the cool kids kind of dip into this geek life or interact with them. And the, and the geeks are, are very hesitant about, you know, how long is this going to last? Like, how long is it going to be until like two days later, you're making fun of me again at school? And I, th- I find that like really sad. Uh-huh. And at the same time, like here, when we see Daniel interacting with them and and having a good time, it's also at the same time, like, will Daniel have enough um, uh, confidence in, in being able to be like, hey, I actually like the stuff that these guys are doing. You know, like, yeah. is, wasn't, wasn't is he really going to have that? wasn't really their tormentors to begin with. I mean, yeah. No, like no, not jobs. really. But it's still like, you know, it sets a precedent at school because yeah. like we've, we've seen this now for the whole season. I think like, you know, if I was extrapolating like, you know, what, how this would have gone, I think, you know, part of the reason why Daniel enjoyed that was that he was accepted into that group for totally different reasons than why he was accepted into his other group or groups like he wasn't there because he was good looking or had a car or you know drank and did drugs and had sex and all that stuff like he wasn't there for all of those reasons he was there under totally different pretenses to do totally different things among people who didn't want him for all that you know so i think that's Mm. that's why it was kind of yeah and they and they encourage him and he has a good time and they tell him he did well which you get the impression that 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 he never 
he he never feels like he's good at anything. Like that's the yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the he, win. He gets in trouble and gets into the AV club because he was going to pull the fire alarm because there was no way that he was going to be able to pass the test since the guy he was going to cheat off of was uh, what broke his broke his leg or something earlier in the day. And so he's just left with um, pulling the fire alarm because he's he's got nothing left. So you know these guys welcome him in and congratulate him. And he you know he's got his Carlos the dwarf saves the day in the D and D game and he feels like he's um in a place where he's like doing good things and is being appreciated which you get the sense he never ever ever experiences i love that aspect of it too it's so humiliating for the geeks that their preferred respite is used as a punishment for those (laughs) art geeks But like, so in contrast, the the geeks were so accepting to Daniel at the end, and we were talking about this a ton. But at the same time, the entire series is is following Lindsay and her struggle to be accepted by these like cooler kids. And it seems like it took so long for her to integrate with this group at all. And even towards the end, like a few people were still, you know, making fun of her or or she was always like the one on the outside. She yeah. could never quite fit in the entire time. And it's all she wanted was that acceptance, like to move on from being the mathlete, you know, like she wanted to be so much, she wanted to like be in with this cool crowd. And it was always a test like every single time until that like Kim Kelly was uh, Kim Kelly's my friend episode it was like she could not catch a break she was always the one on the outside like every single time there was a um, you know a conflict that happened something bad would happen and she would get thrown under the bus for it right. you know like she it, broke up the was, band don't forget she broke yep, up the sure. band oh, <laughs> oh that episode hurts so much because I'm like oh she's saying all like she is right. There's that important moment in the last episode, though, I think relates to that, where Kim says to her, um, like, she can't leave town. Lindsay's leaving town. She's like, you don't have to stay. You can just leave. And I think there's that point of Lindsay is sort of she's not a freak in the same way that her or especially yeah. Daniel is where they they don't have money they don't have like they're from a poorer family and so they don't have the same opportunities so she can kind of come hang out with them and still if she wants get into like a high end cl- like college and go on with her life and sort of move on where it just seems like really unlikely that Daniel and Kim especially are going to be able to do that and so I think like that's part of that tension. It's like she's being accepted, but she still is in some ways not a tourist, but she could be. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, they're Mm, suspicious of her because she's, in their opinion, she's slumming. Yeah, It's almost like class tourism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, really, she has the choice to be there, but they don't. It reminds me of that line in uh, in the song "Common People." I knew you were going to do it. Like, yeah, (laughs) I mean, if you called your dad, he could stop it all. You'll never understand what it's really like to be, you know, a dead ender who's who's never going to leave this town. And that's I'm certain where their 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 sort of resentment towards her, even when they're they're friendly with her, is coming from. Going back a minute to the um, to you know the the falling off a cliff ending and just. I am shocked at the density of how much they were able to cram into 18 episodes of this show. Like it, they, they, they created such a world. There are so many characters. Mm-hmm. They're so well developed. Like even though, you know, some of them got more time than others, obviously for their development and, and, and arcs and stuff, they crammed a lot in. And whenever I, you know, think back to, and go try to watch it or think about it, it always 
surprised me like oh my god it was only 18 episodes like it was only one season it seems like they they made this entire world and crammed in so much in there you know you look at the character list and, and you you can see like almost everyone even like these little accessory characters that were only in a couple of episodes you know they, they are even oftentimes very well developed you know there there's so much here that did such an amazing job and i would say this is this is possibly the only one of my my miscellaneous favorite shows that i i can't point to a time when the writing kind of took a nosedive like almost every other show that i love even the ones that are that I really, really love, like The Wire, like I can point to a point in the show and be like, you know what? It probably should have ended before X. Like, and I there isn't such a point for this. I mean, this ended too early, probably, but yeah. but it because it only had that one season, it never got bad, it never got stupid, it never got tired, and they just crammed so much into it. It's uh, it just blows me away how much is in 18 episodes. Yeah, it makes me wonder if it maybe not having a second season isn't maybe one of the best things that could have happened to yeah. it. Because I do wonder where they were going to go from here. I mean, obviously, you know, they've set up these characters and, and they can obviously have these character moments. But a lot of these episodes is just uh, straight up nostalgia for some of the ridiculous things that were going on at the time, like, you know, Sam in his leisure suit, uh, you know the whole high school experience, oh, painful. and they've <laughs> they've painful. already done that at this point. Yeah. You know, and I obviously I feel like another four episodes probably would have allowed them to to sort of uh, close things out more tightly and and um, you know have a more satisfying ending for the rest of these characters. But I I feel like maybe if they'd gone to a second season, are, it would are they going to do another episode with the mascot? I don't think so. Right? Like no. you, you already mm-hmm. did the mascot episode. Come on. Although I do appreciate the new mascot does appear in the background in the George <laughs> Bush episode. So it's you know oh there's there's one of the guys that tried out that didn't creepy. quite make the cut. Creepy head. <laughs> creepy head. It's so creepy. So creepy. <laughs> oh, and, and you get uh, talking about the the variety of the characters because I do think that's part of it is that uh, not only is it what Steve said about it, it's the, the show that has empathy with its characters even the minor characters are um, there's real detail work there and. Uh, like uh, a character like Millie, we're talking about um, mm. Lindsay getting kind of mm. yeah. n- rejected by the uh, by the freaks, but uh, Millie, her friend, her best friend from elementary school, and she's kind of aghast at Lindsay pulling away from her. And it's the opposite, right? Lindsay's getting it from both sides. She's getting it from why aren't you in mathletes anymore? And why are you hanging out with those guys, those burnouts? And the, and the burnouts don't trust her. And so she's caught in the middle. But like Millie is, Millie's fascinating. And then Millie ends up wanting to go to the Who concert, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, I love but, that episode. But Millie is so also emblematic of everything that Lindsay is is trying to get away from and rebel against and she you know when she gets inadvertently gets too high and has to millie has to bail her out and and she's she professes how much she cares about millie um i think there's truth in that right it's like it's not like she doesn't uh, doesn't appreciate millie as a person it's just that she doesn't want to her priorities are changing and she doesn't she doesn't want to do the stuff that 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 Millie likes and that really resonated with me because you know I had those best friends in elementary school and within a year of high school like we all pulled away from each other because we were all becoming different people and it was kind of painful and there were definitely moments like this that I recognize where it's sort of like I got my friends over here and I got Millie and it's like it's not like I don't like Millie but I don't want to be around Millie anymore <laughs> because I'm not I'm not feeling what Millie is uh, what Millie is selling. And I just I, I think that that's a uh, 
I love that character, that the detail of that character. And she's a joke character on one level, and then another level, you actually kind of feel for her. Yeah, I, I just like it when the good girls cross over. <laughs> <laughs> course, she's going to um, go to that Who concert, and she tells her mom, forget it, I'm going to the Who concert. That is, that is uh, one of my top three episodes, I think, which is that's, that's Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers, yeah. her... her, her uh, Kim, her Kim, the wild Kim runs side over is, her dog. Spurred by her dog dying, <laughs> and then her her parents are being way too permissive with her afterwards. Um, but that one also includes. Speaking of you know characters that that get more sympathy than you'd expect, that's that's a, a strong Tom Wilson as yeah. Coach Fredericks moment. When Fredericks early on, he you know he's he's subjecting them all to dodgeball, and he's portrayed oh, as you know, the archetype of the jock gym teacher who mm-hmm. who's sadistic and doesn't care about the kids, and then. Gradually over the course of the season, particularly Makes them all when take showers. Sam, right? But <laughs> mm-hmm. when Sam is is extremely confused about his sexuality, he takes him and he sits him down and he explains it all to him, and he really seems like he 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 cares about the kids. And 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 uh, then this scene, of course, is when it's it's revealed that he's been dating Bill's mom on right. the slide for an extended period. Um, and so you've got you know the the that that's that's a great uh, a plot and I love getting more of Bill's backstory because there's some interesting things going on there, but especially just sort of the continued humanization of what would have been in another show just kind of a, a one off uh, joke antagonist and he, he's still a jock type you know his favorite movie is Rocky Two we can't yep. stop talking about basketball to the complete amusement of the kids stuck in the car with him on their way to the go kart track. But he's clearly really making an effort to win Bill over, and uh, and it's just at the end when, you know, he gives his little speech about how he really loves his mom, and then at the end Bill kind of finally accepts him and he sits down and they bond over Dallas. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a really sweet and emotional moment, and uh, I think it's really really good. Oh, that whole episode, especially I believe that's the same one that has the Bill grilled cheese making scene. Yes, that is oh. so oh so good. I I also really like the episode where uh, they confront him about being chosen last in gym class and as a kid who hated gym class. And I was just, it was like a revelation to me the first time I saw it that, oh, right. The reason why you're picked last in gym class is because (laughs) of who they choose, like the the jock kids who are going to pick all the other athletic kids and and you know it's just like oh the system was always set up against me because i don't actually hate playing these games or sports or doing things but like the system being set up against me and then having him as a teacher also have that revelation and and listen to them and set it up and have that magical moment where they got to 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 make their own teams and like mm-hmm. change the shift the power and and he'll gets endured. the first out i know he's like so good <laughs> But it's it's interesting because he he he, he um, allows him to be the 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 team uh, picker, even after Bill has called him and said, "Fredericks, you're a turd, <laughs> a stinky fat turd. Go sniff a jockstrap, you poophead. You love patting boys' butts. You love patting boys' butts. But you butt patter. You're a perv and a loser and a stinky s- turd." I wrote that down because I watched it so many times and I love it so much. It's so bad. (laughs) The other thing that's amazing is that scene where he's uh, in the the episode where he knows that he's uh, dating his mom, where um, he says, you know, okay, everybody run laps. And he's like, no, 
I'm not going to run laps. And it's like, listen, Haver Chuck, you got to do this. And he's like, no, what are you going to do? And he, wa- <laughs> like, and he walks out. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is, this is going to blow some people's minds because like, this is the, um, that would to- that like totally, if you don't care, it's just a brilliant moment because it's like, what's he going to do? Like, he's it's right. A, it's a shift of power, what's right? He, what's he going to do? He's like, there, there's this consensual hallucination that <laughs> you got to do everything your gym teacher says, no matter what it is, or else the world ends. And Bill has that moment. He's like, no, I'm I'm just not going to do what you say. And it's like, yes, yes. Have a Chuck More. is the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. which he gets from his his bully his Alan, bully. which is great. Yeah, oh, I feel so bad for Alan when they go to the con and they're all dressed up, and Alan wants to go too. And we see like that little backstory that like yes. he wants to be with them and like hang out and, and talk about Star Wars and stuff. That hurts me so much. But then like he has that moment where he could go meet them. Yeah, and he chickens out and he like can't bring himself just to do it. Rides away on his bike with a banana seat. Oh, and that, that they're just, being like, pretty over me. the top dorky in that moment. Yeah. I would have a yeah, hard time but joining like, them myself. <laughs> it kind of it gives them this weird power because they're able to be dorky in the face of everyone and kind of accept the ridicule that goes along with that. But yet they're still being true to themselves. And then you have a character like Alan who ends up being this like relentless bully and this terrible guy, but he doesn't have any of the courage to like be his true self and to be that dorky outwardly with everybody. And so at the same, like when Mm -hmm. you see that you're like, Oh, these geeks are the ones that really do get themselves and they are happier for it because they're living this authentic life that this other person doesn't have the courage to live. Yeah. And like, exactly. I think that that's so cool that they glorify that in this show. Yeah. And, and like, as you know, as I, I believe, as, as we were saying earlier, like even the bullies, you know, you, you kind of learn why they, you know, they, they become sympathetic on some level. You know, Alan, I think, is it's actually fairly well developed considering, you know, his, his relatively small role in the show. Um, even there's that moment where um, the jock uh, Todd Schellinger, is he, he's the jock, right? Todd. Yeah. Yeah, where oh, he's, he's like he's getting nervous boyfriend. and throwing up in the bathroom, right? That's right. Sam sees him going. Yeah, he's yeah. He, he kind of has that moment mm-hmm. with Sam, like mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Like, there's. I feel like they they really do a good job of, you know, like the the you know the quote bullies. I mean, Todd's not really a bully, but you know, Alan's certainly yeah. is like mm-hmm. probably like the best version of this. Like, you know, the bullies usually are bullies for reasons, and you don't always you know when you're being picked on you just kind of tend to see them as this one-dimensional like they're just evil like a cartoon character um and then you know maybe later on or maybe as you're older thinking back you realize oh there was more to that story you know there's a reason why they were like that and so there was you know something i didn't know about them or some you know their their home environment was not great or something like there's always something like that behind the scenes and and this show actually shows that and it actually develops those characters to to show that and that's that's really unusual and, and i think very special I mentioned that Joel Hodgson is in this as the as the disco mm-hmm. uh, clothing store manager, and then the disco DJ <laughs> in that last episode. I didn't mention. I, I believe Ken's final scene in the show, Seth Rogen, is when he's thrown out of the disco um, for uh, saying disco sucks, and the bouncer says, "Oh, don't worry about it. There, this is the last disco." Um, they're shutting it down and replacing it with, I don't even remember what they're replacing it with. And, and it's such a funny moment because it's like Seth Rogen's, uh, final victory and the, and like the, all the disco people don't know it yet, but disc, he's right. Disco 
is dead. <laughs> dead. And they're shutting it down. All of the <laughs> arrogance of no. Joel Hodgson being, hey, Mr. Rock and Roll. It's like, no. The, and, the, and the guy, the bouncer, is like, rock and roll, man. <laughs> it's like such a great moment. Of, Joel Hodgson knows he's, he knows he's all talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's <laughs> even, true. Even with the leisure suits, you know, he's not a handsome man, but it is it's amazing. been pretty cool. But it's about to end. We mentioned Cindy Sanders, and I want to say one of the great turns that happens in this is Cindy is Sam's uh, super crush, and he loves her. He loves her so much, and she's a cheerleader, and she's popular, and uh, and he just loves her so much. And then at, at a, through a series of events, it gets to the point where they date. And he's the rebound. He is the rebound from Todd, and but he's supportive. And, and But anyway, what happens, though, that I think is brilliant is that once he's with Cindy, a little bit like that proverbial dog who catches the car, mm-hmm. he's like, well, now what? And discovers in what I think is so real and also so brilliant that they have nothing in common. She doesn't like anything he likes. Her idea of a good time is nothing he wants to do. Um, and and then as, as it goes, she's kind of awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, I was going to mention this too. She's kind of the only one who doesn't get a sympathetic backstory of any kind. Yeah, she's just the humor, humorless young Republican cheerleader who is super boring. She only eats carrot sticks, except she sneaks burgers when she can. Yeah. But the moment and where she's it, like, "Oh, we're going to go. Let's the, all the quarterback and, and stuff are going to go and do this cool thing," and Sam is like, "Oh my god, lake." Yeah. Oh my god, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm on. T- I'm on, like that. Just sounded so awful. I know, right? So the dream, the dream girl. <laughs> no. Like I just love that because that's that. That's one of those moments that is very clarifying as a human being to learn, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, I know that she's your crush and I know that she's your dream girl, but who is she? <laughs> Do you know who she is? And when he finds out who she is, it's like he doesn't like she her. Sucks. Right? <laughs> she sucks. She sucks. And, and they're like, she's you terrible. Gotta, you can't break up with her. And it's like, no, Sam, you got to break up with that. I think, I think yeah, uh, she doesn't Lindsay like says she, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. They, they tell that joke that the cans joke from the jerk, like five times in this show, Bill tells it, they watch it. Sam tells it. Everybody tells the joke about, he really doesn't like cans, right? It's, we hear it again and again, but Cindy Sanders does not like that joke, does not care for the jerk. Yeah, it's, it's, this is yet another area where, like, you know, the, the, the vision of yourself and others that you have when you are, you know, an, al- an adolescent um, is much more simplified and, and, you know, storybook based almost. Like, you know, you think that you, you know, when you have this crush on some, you know, pretty person, you think that if, if you could somehow magically have them be your boyfriend or girlfriend, that everything will be great. Oh my God, that would be perfect. And you don't you don't even necessarily see them as a person so much as like, you know, somebody up on a pedestal. Right. And then so that's like yet another thing where it's like this is illustrating the complexities of what people actually are like, even though you you when you are that young, don't always see it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's. Look, I had a crush on a cheerleader in high school too, and it was all for the best that that didn't work out, right? Like there's the there's those moments where you're like, oh, what what am I even thinking here? But <laughs> young, you don't really understand it, and 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 the reason Cindy is not necessarily a full fleshed out character is I think the point of Cindy is sort of like that she's unknowable and she's just this um, unachievable goal basically for Sam, and so that they can have that moment where he achieves his goal and it's uh, it's 
careful oh, what you wish for. It's awful, right? Whereas in, in a scene that is not particularly realistic but is uh, is super sweet is when they do the seven minutes in heaven. Yeah. Oh yeah, with mm-hmm. Bill and the lead cheerleader, and it start and it's this whole progression where um, she's like, "Don't even try it," and he's like, "You're such a jerk. I'm not you, like you can't because she's so conceited. She's like, he's not gonna want to keep his hands off of me, and he's like, "No, I don't like you. You're a jerk. I don't even want to be here." <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and and then he describes the jerk <laughs> again. <laughs> describes the jerk. Yeah, and all things come back jerk. to the jerk. And uh, and then uh, in, in a moment that is not does not feel true to life, but it's just so sweet. Where she's like, "Oh no, don't what the hell!" And she kisses him, and they're they're in there for a little while. And then like in a couple episodes later, he says, "Oh yeah, like when you when you ma- made out with what is that, Vicky? Have I ever told you about the time Vicky. that I made out with Vicky Appleby?" <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> he tells up. Sam who's had a crush on her for like a year. Uh huh. <laughs> that's so good. Right, but it is it is sweet in the sense that that's the flip side of that, which is. Um, he's, he's not who she expects and she is nicer than we expect. I think in that moment, it's a, it's a moment where kind of all of those high school BS, uh, labels kind of come down for a little bit while they're in the closet. It's an unexpected thing to happen in the seven minutes in heaven in the closet, I guess. Also, by the way, every time that Sam spins the bottle, it lands on bill. Amazing. (laughs) Do people French kiss when they play spin the bottle, Jason? Well, some do. Most don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Sam Levine's face in that moment is his mm. his defining moment in the show. It's so good. That reminded me of the new girl who came, and then the the three guys uh, became friends episode. with her. That's and a heartbreaker. Yeah, and oh. it's just like, oh, and they they know that it's not going to last. And then yeah. they had that 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 final meal and like let's make it the best night ever and then she walks across the cafeteria to sit with the cheerleaders and yep. just like yeah this is so beautiful it's so Been there also so <laughs> true right mm-hmm. like as soon as she finds her place but in that brief magical moment they had her as their friend she was never mean to them after that no though. she wasn't. she was always like oh hey yeah you know absolutely. it was passive but it was still like it was never mean well i don't think she even realizes that she's she's sort of bailed she on she and vicky are the ones who come to bill's hospital right? room right that's right yeah yeah so yeah i mean and and that that's why this show i think uh, another re- way this show is brilliant is we we can describe like the social interaction of the of the freaks or the geeks uh and wh- where do you belong and who are you and who are you with and like it's exactly the same thing, right? Like, like dealing with Maureen and where she's going to fit in is exactly like Lindsay saying, I want to break out of the mathletes and be in this other group. And the, it's like everybody in the high school is like, no, you cannot leave your group. <laughs> you are in your box. Stay yeah. There. And at a time when you're changing so fast that you really need to be able to have the freedom to move out of your box. And that's, yeah, it, this show is brilliant. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm glad we finally got to talk about it. So backstory here. Not only did we spend like several months trying to schedule this episode, but I've had this on my to-do list for The Incomparable for about five years. Um, and it's only been in the last year or so where it went on Hulu. So people can see it. Because for the longest time, you could only get out-of-print DVDs of Freaks and Geeks. But it's on Hulu. So you can just go watch it. And I'm so glad that we have been able to talk about it because um, it is brilliant. It is, I think, something that viewers of modern peak tv prestige tv even though it is made you know it's a network tv show and it's got all the commercial breaks that are in there and fade in and fade outs and all of that like i actually feel like it's it was ahead of its time and so still feels surprisingly 
uh, modern in some ways. Although I'll also point out that if they um, if they shot a oh a, I know what you're going to say a reunion say it, episode Jason. of Freaks and Geeks that was <laughs> that was set that was 20 years because it's been 20 years since it was on. It would be set in the year that Freaks and Geeks was on the air because it's been 20 years and it was set 20 years before that. So it would be set in 2000. <laughs> And right. shot in 2020, 2021, we would set oh, it in, wow. in, in 2001. That would be the Freaks and Geeks reunion. It has been as long between now and then as it was between then and 1980. So, yeah. Thanks a lot. Now we're all old. Yeah. Well, thank goodness that the Hulu episodes maintain the original music. It's That's always, why it's been so hard to find, is that the music really is integral. There. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and there's, they're great cues, they're great songs, and they're used to subtle effect in a mm-hmm. lot of ways like for instance the um for instance, back the to devil the, uh, went down to georgia is <laughs> no way to say <laughs> oh it's perfect for that scene though who hasn't wanted to make out in a laser dome to mac davis uh, it's oh, true or uh anyway that's not mac davis no that's, no uh, he's on the eight track that they that they play it's hard to be humble yeah. though um yeah but i mean like for instance like that dead dogs and gym teachers episode where millie goes on her bender uh, of course, they're going to see the Who, and so well, when she's a bad girl, it's all Who songs that whole episode until that final scene when she's been taken down off the ledge by Lindsay and Kim, and they've told her they've run over her dog, and they're sitting in Lindsay's room listening to Seals and Crofts. Yep, play Summer Breeze. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's such an essential part of the show to have the the period music there, and it's yeah. I, so pleased that I got to see it in its original form. Yeah, so, I, some, I actually wonder if streaming has made. Uh, some made it the equation a little bit better because their challenge was always like to get the DVD and Blu-ray rights. Um, and then they have to pay for all the music and it was very mm-hmm. hard for them to do it. And those sets were very expensive because they had to pay so much for the music. I actually wonder if on Hulu, the, the cost structure is a little bit different because essentially all the royalties are based on per play. And so you can just sort of like price in everybody gets their money every time somebody watches an episode on Hulu and maybe it works better because without the music, it's not the same. Like the music really is, that's a reason it hasn't been seen as much, but it it is also one of the reasons that it's so great is that all that period music and it is, you know, the, the goofy stuff and the, the, the great stuff and it's all really integral like you could take some of it out but it's all so meaningful and and chosen very carefully anything we have not discussed yet that we should talk about before we we go there's you know 18 episodes worth of stuff so we could be here i feel like having talked about um harris that we've covered some of my favorite peripheral <laughs> characters, but there may be other things that you want to talk <laughs> about. I, I just, I, I mean, we didn't even cover like most of Lindsay's like relationship with Nick and like oh, her whole, like okay. so much that she went through, but Neil's it's fine. Brother. Yeah. I mean, we all know that oh, that is the main part of the show, but I mean, it was more fun to kind of talk about all like the extra characters. Nick, like Nick and Lindsay. I mean like, okay. So Jason Siegel went on to do how I met your mother. Um, this he's that Nick is such a goofball. <laughs> And, and has so, like, he's super enthusiastic about things to a fault. He is convinced he's going to be a drummer. He's a terrible drummer. He, he eventually. Well, no, not terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does an okay. acceptable he's, crossroads. He's, for he's, he's, he's good. And he's, he's, he's not Considering good. He's not going there expecting But he cares about it in the way his friends don't care about it, which is something. Uh, he does pick up a guitar later and writes an excruciating song about Lindsay. La, 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 that's the sound But he's of so earnest. 
And then there's the there's the then he he gets like he's stoned all the time, and then he is he stops smoking pot for a while, and then Lindsay's like, oh, well, maybe I'm interested in Nick again, and then he does the disco thing, and like and, and all the while his dad's basically like, you you screw up, kid, I'm, I'm making you go into the army. That's that's his whole. Um, that's his whole life and he's got, but he's got the basement with the posters and the 28 piece drum set and all of that. 29. 20. Yeah. And then Someday he gets the bongos. Even make it an even 30. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah. And Lindsay, it, it's one of those things where it's like, she's interested and then they kind of strike up a relationship, but it turns out that there's that moment like, Oh, I've, I've cut my old girlfriend's pictures, faces out of pictures. And, He's and when he she goes to talk to the old girlfriend, she's like, "No, get away, run away!" And then he's right, he's right behind her, and she's like, "I gotta go." And it's like, uh, it's just there's there's a lot there the with Nick, but Nick is a uh, like Nick is like the I don't know. Lindsay kind of gets into the group with Nick, and yet in the end, Nick is not the reason she sticks in the group. I guess is the sort of the way I would read it. Well, I never thought that Lindsay was interested in him ever. I think that Lindsay kind of like started to go out with him under pressure from everyone mm. else a little bit. And just like a, I need to be hooked up with some, not that it was strategic, but that like well, she, she kind of fell into in a relationship. When he's depressed because he's just been in that excruciating scene where he's trying out for the band. Yeah, but that's more like friendship and stuff. And it's like, I think she got like, she fell into this relationship with him and then she got pressured from everyone else to stay into this relationship because it was kind of like her way of becoming accepted into the group in that like she has this relationship and now she can't break up with him. They'd also seen what happened when when the last girlfriend broke up with him, right? And they're like, you can't do that. Like, that's the funny thing about some of those scenes. It's not so much like we want you to be with him. It's like, it will mess him up real bad. And we don't like being around him when he's like that, which is the wrong reason to say that. But that, that there's like, no, you can't break up with him. That, that <laughs> whole relationship experience though so too. Awful. Yes. That. Yeah. Cause like, I feel like that she gives him a pity kiss and then she doesn't really know how to handle like yeah. not going out with him at that point. And then he's so excited and she doesn't want to like, <laughs> you know, and then, and then on top of that, they start laying on all the pressure of like, he's going to be so terrible if you break up with him. <laughs> so it's just partly like, she's so, she doesn't know what to do. She's, I don't think she's ever really dated anyone before. So she I mean, she's like stiffly, la- she's like stiffly laying there when he's like trying to cuddle with her. Yeah. And she's just like, Oh God, when is this going to be over? Well, like, when can and, this be done? And she breaks up the band, which kind of places her in opposition to everybody else. And, but, but Nick is on her side. So that, that pushes her closer to Nick. Yes. It does lead to the laser show where there's a, amazingly that empty chair between them for the entire laser show. Just, <laughs> Well, everybody else is making out at the laser show and there's just an empty chair between Nick and Lindsay. <laughs> well, it's just away. because like they they couldn't even be friends. Like Nick wouldn't even let them just be friends. It yeah. was like romance or nothing for yeah. him. And I think Annette totally nails it. It's like she's just so inexperienced. She kind of like accidentally got into this relationship she wasn't interested in and she didn't know how to leave. I mean, right. I mean, right. And that like you, we yeah. could totally smooch the hell out of this here. Like, <laughs> we could totally smooch it. Yes. <laughs> and, and well, and then he immediately leaps to the, the, the girl, uh, who he does the disco dancing with. Right. So yes, Nick is, Nick, but she always liked him. She yeah, actually she liked him. Well, she did. And that's, yeah. and he doesn't really like her so much, which is the, 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 the tragedy of it. Right. But he's so needy that he just ju- jumps to Sarah and, and, starts disco dancing he's he's you know puts on the outfit goes disco dancing with 
Joel Hodgson. Uh, I wanted to mention that um, it's interesting that this is in widescreen and it's a pretty decent widescreen. Um, I mean, the first, for, for whatever reason, Hulu has the pilot in standard definition. Obviously, these all aired in standard def. But I guess they went back and and reframed them all for widescreen. I think they sh I think they shot it all in widescreen on film, and, uh -huh. except for the pilot where they shot it four by three. That um, but, explains. But it. But this was in the era where they were realizing widescreen was going to come in, and so a lot of shows that were shot on on film where it was already going to be sixteen by nine, they decided to frame it with sixteen by nine safe areas so that they could put it out that way. And very yeah. few of those have come. Some of those have come out, but most of them are kind of like hack jobs, like the Seinfeld ones where they just cut off the top and the bottom. But this one, or uh, Buffy for that, matter. or Buffy, right? <laughs> where there's and, and just then, random people walking through the shot. And then, and then there are ones like <laughs> The Wire where they've where they've uh, been taking some care with it. But here, yeah, I think that after the pilot, they they just tried to shoot it all widescreen, and it looks good. And the HD, yeah. it's HD. HD 16 by 9 it looks that helps it feel a little more like a modern show than it, than a lot of other shows from the yeah, period. Yeah, it makes a huge difference and it was very forward thinking. Yeah, it, it really holds up well. Yeah, it looks it looks good. I mean, it looks like the mm -hmm. 80s um which helps like it's 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 not trying to be a document of the year 2000, right? It it, it is already trying to be period. And so I, I I don't know there's something about that. It's like it's already a level of unreality, but it looks really it's really well well shot. It's because of the jackets. It's the jackets. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is, and the hair. It's the jackets and the hair. So just mm -hmm. a few other things I wanted to mention. I've got way too many notes here. It would take all night if I went through them all. So I did mention... Right, we'll just hang up and let you uh, let you uh, go on sure. with your 29-piece with your yeah. drum set. You take you take the answer <laughs> off the air. That, that'll work. Steve um, is the incomparable 29-piece drum set. Yeah. <laughs> that is it's the kindest it. thing anybody's ever said about me. <laughs> you know what happened to the guy no, with the 29-piece drum set? He died. He died. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Um, I, I had mentioned earlier that there were two things that I remembered about this. The first one was the garage door opening and Neil throwing his, his garage door opener. The second I did not mention, and that is the serenade that Nick gives to Lindsay to oh, Sticks Lady, which oh, is God. to this day the most cringy thing I have ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is so painful. And I had forgotten the Lady L thing. I can't even imagine being like on the receiving end of that. Like, no, please. I can't even make oh, eye contact with oh, you. It's hard to watch, but it's so memorable. It's so good. Um, and just a couple other uh, memorable bits and bobs here. Um, I wanted to call out the opening scene, which is genius, um, which is where we start with the, the shot of the guys on the football field uh, practicing, oh. and then we pan over to the bleachers, and we have... Uh, the jock and Vicky, um, these the beautiful people, and they're having their perfect CW soap opera moment. Mm -hmm. She's you know wondering what's been bothering him. And he says, "It's just I love you so much." And there's this <laughs> wonderful moment. There's a kiss, and then we pan down in one shot, and now we're under the bleachers in the seedy underbelly, <laughs> and we're there with the with the freaks, and we see how the other half live. Um, and I had, I had kind of hoped that it was all one shot where we then pan over and see the geeks. It's not, but it's still it's. It's just a brilliant way to start. It's like, no, this is a show about high school, and here's these beautiful people. But it's not about these mm. people. It's about these people down here who are smoking out under the bleachers. And it's just it's, it's such a great way to start off the series. Um, and then lastly, what cruel bastard plays Come Sail Away at a school dance? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> and I say this as somebody who once started a slow dance to Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, uh, Come Sail Away is twice as cruel. Uh -huh. 
It's so great, though. It's such a memorable. I mean, yeah, that that's an uplifting moment in the show. But yes, it's also ridiculous. But it's well, so good. It happens. It really happens. You start a slow dance and yeah. you're excited, and then the then the fast part comes on, and you don't know what to do. And all you can do is stand there and no. do the white boy dance. No, no, no. This is supposed to be a slow dance. No, no. Nope. Well, sorry, kid. Now we're gonna bop back and forth awkwardly for about ten minutes. Yep. yep. I would also like to mention uh, Daniel's foray into like punk life. For like yes. two seconds, how when he's trying to find himself and he ends up uh, trying to be a punk and he ends up at that punk club and he has the hair. That's a whole thing. I that <laughs> was just worth mentioning. Yeah, I love when he shows back up at Kim's afterwards, all beaten up, and oh, that's such a good moment. I like the moment. Um, the, the the freaks are are too cool for school, right? And so it's homecoming, and they're, they're or they're playing their big rival, and they don't care, and it's stupid. And this is with the, the the mascot costume and all of that, and nobody cares, and it's stupid. And then they get stuff thrown on them in the parking lot, and so they end up going and spray painting the guy's car, and then they get beat up, he and it turns suck, them, as I recall, it, it yes. just yeah. It turns them, though, then they go back to the basketball game and they're super into it because now they really hate that other high school. They really hate Lincoln High, where they also have a banner in the hallway that says assassinate Lincoln, which I have questions about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You used to be able to get away with that back in the day. Uh, Assassinate Lincoln is just a little harsh, little, little like... Anyway, uh, I, I just love that term because there's this whole thing about sports is tribalism and all that. And like you get to see it with the with the freaks where they're like, this is stupid. And then by the end, they're so offended by the, the people from stupid Lincoln High that they're going to cheer for the basketball team in the gym. Because That's the thing about all these little moments like, you know, Daniel getting into punk, them all of a sudden being all into the sports. It's like they have these moments of where they totally weren't into something they thought it was you know fake or just whatever excuse they were giving but then they find a situation where they have to change their mind or all of a sudden it becomes okay like you know with the sports they were they found the catalyst that you know got them into it with daniel and the punk life like the idea of putting you know ripping your pants and putting pins on it and stuff like all punk stuff is being a bit of a poser because everyone tries to do it and then they try and look as punk as they can look but Mm -hmm. but they saw it from someone else so they're trying to you know so like this whole idea of identity and especially in your high school years right like you're trying on all of these different types of of who you can be yeah all these different jackets Mm. jackets (laughs) uh you know with and that's what everyone's going through that's what Lindsay's going through that's what we see millie going through like and the idea of like, are you a poser if you're trying this on and you just tried it on for a little bit? Like, how is that really you? You're just you're pretending. But at the same time, it's not really pretending if you are are experimenting with something and you want to know if this is going to be you, you know, like so it's that whole growing up. And that's what the whole series is about. And and I really I love that. And seeing it now as an adult, you realize like as a kid, you feel like you're always a poser, right? Like you're always an imposter. You're Mm -hmm. always not part of the group. And then now when you look at it and you realize no one's really part of the group, everyone's trying it out. Everyone's trying on these different things. And it's like you just accept that you're you and that's okay. Like who you're trying to prove this to. And I think that that's what everyone is, is going through here. And that's the one thing that, you know, when I was reading about this on Wikipedia and about the idea of 
it being so typical high school and that not being exciting enough for the networks, like that emotion of it being just like, just get through the day and not be made fun of, you know, like that's what Mm -hmm. so much of this, these episodes encompass and like encompass. Yeah, sure. That sounds good. Sure. Um, But like that, that's, that's just so much of what these episodes are about. And I think that that's why we relate to it so, so deeply. Do you, do you think there's like a time in our life when we're in such a contained box as like all of school, but especially in high school, when it's that transition period from really kid into adult, but then you're also in this box where you're you like, for me, I went to the same with same school with kids from kindergarten to high school. And so you couldn't like I, I couldn't move, I couldn't change, everyone knew everything about me, or so it felt. And so then you're, and there's no room to kind of get outside of that box to explore. So you have to explore within the box. And so it is a really weird thing to start doing like to that's why it's so weird he goes off and tries punk or he goes off and tries disco like nick Mm. and everyone makes fun of him and but it's because you're you can't escape the overall box of high school and you're just trapped in there together trying to figure out who you are and not really being able to move outside of your social strata and that's an it's intense and i think that's why high school is so intense and i i feel like almost everyone feels like they're an outsider in high school even Maybe not the cool kids, but probably even them too. I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> They're the cool well, they, kids. They just have different pressures yeah, and different, yeah. you know, they just reasons saw, to... Yeah, the jock throwing up and like right. Vicky's like, you know, Vicky trying to be like the perfect person that she was trying to be. Like it was... No, every, every, you're is. right. Everybody is an outsider in some way or another and, and is, is trying to be something they're not or... Like that's the truth. That's why the empathy in this show works for me is that is that you really do need to recognize that um, everybody, even Alan, you can understand <laughs> Alan better. You may not like Alan, you may not appreciate Alan, but even the bully Alan, there's a story there about why Alan is the way he is. And if you understood it, maybe you would you would uh, feel for him at least a little bit. And that's why I mean, Steve brought the name up earlier, but I feel like Sex Education is the show that's the most like Freaks and Geeks that's on the air right now. It's on Netflix. It's not. It's not quite the same, but what it does have is a lot of characters and a lot of empathy for characters that even like the bully, that you understand more about them and uh, and. And Ted Lasso is like that too, but it's not set in a high school like sex education is. So I think that it's mm-hmm. a little more comparable. But like I, I like shows that that try to have characters you can understand and feel for, even if they're doing you know making bad decisions or doing bad things. That it, they're not doing it because they, for plot reasons, need to be an impediment to your other characters. They're doing it because uh, you understand they they're they have a messed up like they just want to fit or they don't understand or they, they there's something um, that gives them a reason and then you can feel for them even if you don't agree with them. And and this show is just it's all that it is it is purely that other than I, I mean we need to know more about mr koshevsky and why he's such a jerk um so i'll put that on the list for the the fan fiction <laughs> just explain explain why the math teacher is kind of a jerk but um but in general and, and we do need to know more i guess about about cindy sanders <laughs> like why sure. why is she the way she is but um but you know it's, it's why doesn't um, she just admit it when she farts is my question mm. exactly i totally forgot to mention did. that scene of bill trying desperately to make her chair fart yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't be in love with someone you can't cut the cheese in front of. Right? It was like, the sound of cheese being cut. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. 
<laughs> I'm glad we talked about this. I'm glad, seriously, I've wanted to do this episode for years, and I'm so happy that this show is available. I'm really worried that I'm going to post this episode and Hulu's going to take it off like the next week, and nobody's going to get a chance to see it. So run to see it or see it Don't again. Walk. Run to your place that there's Hulu and It's on watch CBC it. Gem in Canada. Okay, there you say. go. It is CBC available. Gem. You may need to go to you Canada to see it. Yep. So do what you need to yep. do, people. Do what you need to do. All right, let me thank my panelists for being here um, and talking about Freaks and Geeks. Annette Weirstra, Weird, Weirdstra, uh, thank you for being here. I am just going to be grateful if you don't throw my cookies on the lawn, please. Okay. <laughs> Tiff Arment, thank you. What if all of this is a dream and it isn't even our dream? It's that dog's dream. <laughs> don't wake, don't up, the wake dog. up the dog. Don't wake up the dog. Don't wake up that dog. Marco Arment, thank you. If I knew the way, I would take you home. <laughs> and Steve Lutz, thank you. Thank you, Jason. But if you want to buy those crazy Micronaut things, you're going to have to earn the money. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Incomparable. Well, you know the, the story about the guy who uh, didn't listen to The Incomparable? He's dead. <laughs> he died. <laughs> Are all your friends dead? We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>